Hi, I'm Jen, and I host the Your Parenting Mojo podcast, where I critically examine strategies and tools related to parenting and child development that are grounded in scientific research and principles of respectful parenting. In this series of episodes called Sharing Your Parenting Mojo, we turn the tables and hear from listeners. What have they learned from the show that's helped their parenting? Where are they still struggling? And what tools can we find in the research that will help? If you'd like to be notified when new episodes are released and get a free guide to seven parenting myths we can safely leave behind, seven fewer things to worry about, subscribe to the show at yourparentingmojo.com. You can also continue the conversation about the show with other listeners in the Your Parenting Mojo Facebook group. I do hope you'll join us. And welcome to the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. Today, we're going to talk with a guest about a topic that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is on setting limits and boundaries. We'll talk about the difference between a limit and a boundary because this has really profound implications for our parenting. We tend to think of limits as something that brings more control, and we want to have control. So, we want to have those in place so we can feel like we're on top of this parenting thing. But for some reason, we tend to be really sloppy in our boundaries. We have a hard time accepting that we're even worthy of setting boundaries, never mind holding them. So we're going to talk through this today with my guest, Xavier Dagba, who's a life coach who focuses specifically on these kinds of issues. We'll ask ourselves, what if things seem a little out of control at the moment, not because we don't have enough limits, but because we have too many? And if that's the case, how can we decide which ones you maybe don't need anymore? And how can we know that our kids won't run riot or walk all over us if we don't have as many limits in place? Because there are tools that can make this so it doesn't happen, and they aren't super difficult to use, but most parents I work with have a bit of a hard time getting up and running with them because they're just so different from the way that we might have parented in the past. When we set a limit, we're holding the power ourselves, but we're also holding all of the responsibility. We aren't allowing our children the freedom to make their own decisions and have their own ideas about things that might work, even though while they're young, they will still need our help refining these. We're not talking about abandoning all limits entirely. We're still going to prevent our two-year-old from crossing the street by themselves, and we're not having complete free-for-all in our home. But far more often than you might think possible in this moment right now, our children are actually willing and very able to work with us to find solutions to the kinds of problems that currently seem to require us to set limits. The key is to know how to identify those situations and navigate through them in the moment when it seems like the only thing you can do is set a limit. It's almost paradoxical that the more we give up needing to have a sense of control, the more we invite our child's cooperation and the more willing they become to work with us. And I've seen this happen in the children who are the most difficult and the most hard to reach and the ones who seem like they just need us to control their environment. And when we instead connect with them, and we ask for their ideas on how to solve the problem we're having in our relationship, they're actually quite able to do this. They want to work with us. They don't like being antagonistic and difficult and having so many negative interactions with us. They crave our love and positive attention. And the more we can set up our environment to invite them to be successful, rather than planning for them to fail, the better off our child will be and the less stressed we will be as well. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Sharing Your Parenting Mojo. I'm here today with Xavier Dagba, who is a life coach and an incredible all-around human being. Welcome, Xavier. It's so great to have you here. Well, thank you. Now I have to live up to that expectation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you'll be fine. 
I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and, and the topic that we're here to discuss today, which is kind of on setting limits and boundaries and how those things fit into our lives. Yeah, this is really interesting. And um, a little bit about myself. Right now, I'm a life coach. And before doing this, I've been a wellness coach. I've been a PhD student, not in psychology or anything like that, but in economics. Mm -hmm. That was over seven years ago. And I had a wake-up call moment where I was invited. I had that impulse for several years to just let go of the field of statistics, economics, to dive into something that would help people even more. But I was resisting it. So in 2013, I had that huge awakening of like, this is not really where I want to bring my life. This is really not what I want to do with my life. And I dropped out. And then it began a long cycle of searching for something new, you know, really what I wanted to do, how I wanted to help people began taking courses and classes and, you know, certifications and learning as much as I could to be at a place where I feel like, okay, I can really help people shift in their lives. And the journey of beginning to set boundaries was, you know, really important for me because when I decided to let go of the PhD career or perspective of becoming a professor in economics, I got a lot of backlash, you know, from my family. I live in Canada now, but most of my family still lives in Africa. And they, they saw it as a huge, huge betrayal. Mm. And even for myself, it felt like betrayal to a part of myself because I had, you know, I, you work hard to get a scholarship for a PhD. You really work hard to get you do. <laughs> You know, and then at some point you just like, this is not it. This doesn't make me happy. And I let that go. So there was that divide inside. And also I got to a place for the first time in my life, I was the biggest deception, the biggest disappointment to my parents, mm -hmm. that, which was new to me. So learning how to navigate that, learning how to be like, okay, I need to rebuild myself and I need to rebuild myself without their approval. This is how this began because I needed to create space between them and me so that I could navigate that. So this is how I started diving into this. I literally had to go. And this is not something that I am recommending to anybody. <laughs> I went through a period of two and a half years without really talking to my family, yeah. you know, without having interactions with them. And I can arguably say that this is what I needed to kind of come back to a place where I have a secure footing about who I am. And if people ask me, was there a better way from where I stand right now? I can say absolutely yes. And if I had known earlier how to say, how to speak my truth, mm. set boundaries, create limits, mm. it wouldn't have happened it wouldn't have been two and a half years maybe six months you know yeah oh my goodness it makes me think of you know when we're thinking about raising children and they exhibit behaviors that we find really difficult and it's so tempting to think well if they just change the behavior then things will be better and and if we can reframe that and think you know what the child is doing the best they can with the tools that they have just like you were doing the best that you could with the tools that you had and maybe it wasn't the optimal path but it got you through and and maybe we can look back and see, oh, yeah, there is a different way. And now 
we have this insight that we're going to, by the end of this call, we're going to have so much insight (laughs) that we are going to be able to maybe set limits, set boundaries in a different way than they were set with us. And maybe that we've been setting them until now so that we can have a different relationship with our children and that they can have a different relationship with limits and boundaries than we have had and they have had until now. I absolutely love that. And, you know, stepping into becoming a a parent, it increased that. It amplified the desire to actually Mm -hmm. become better at communicating, period, because I was really bad. (laughs) I wasn't the best communicator. (laughs) There's a reason why I shut down communication with my family for several years. And communicating everything, you know, what I find when it comes to boundaries and limits, communicating everything, meaning where you allow yourself to go, truthfully, mm-hmm. how much you allow people in your life, truthfully as well, is really what we are learning through all of that. Mm-hmm. And this is really beautiful. And being able to reflect that to my children was a really great driving force for me to step even more into this work. Yeah. Okay. So I wonder, can you help us understand? Because I think this is something I've only sort of really begun to tease out more recently, the idea of the difference between a limit and a boundary. Can you tell us how you think about those things? How I think about these things is really interesting. And for everybody who listens to this, I'm inviting you to just take what resonates with what I'm going to say, what really makes sense to you and see if it works in your own context in your own life. This is the invitation that I would have for you. Now, the way I see a limit, a limit is more like some a rule. It feels more like a rule that you are giving to others, meaning here, this is how far you are allowed to go. Yeah. This is what you are allowed to do in this setting here. So it feels more like there is a certain position of authority when it comes to setting limits, you know, And a good example would be in a family, when you're a parent, you get to set limits to how your house is working, you know, Mm -hmm. bedtime for the kids. That's a limit. You can say noise in the house or the amount of like uh, screen time that you, you choose to give to people. So there is that relationship with authority there where you get to set the limit. And it's something that is not really discussed about. It's like not really. To a certain degree, maybe not negotiated because you are the person in authority. There is that authority aspect in the limit. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, the example of parent and kid is obvious, you know, but we also get to set limits with like with the other relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they will look more like some sort of rule that you would give to the person coming into your space. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what you are allowed to do into this space. Mm. When we are interacting together, this is what you are allowed to do here. So this is how I see a limit. And we could go into more examples there. A boundary is really how far you are allowing yourself to go, Mm. the way I see it. You know, how far you are allowing yourself to, how much you are allowing yourself to show up in a specific situation. And a few examples of boundaries would be For example, with family, and this is a huge one for me that I had to uh, (laughs) set for, you know, for a long time. I need to be given notice if you're going to come home. Mm. I need to be given a notice, like a call at least three hours or even a day in advance. This is when they're in town. I need a three hours 
notice. Like I need to know that I need to prepare myself to receive you, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and if that is not there, I reserve myself the choice to tell you it's not working. I'm not available, Mm. you know? So I'm not, basically it sounds like I won't necessarily be available for you if you do not give me notice before you come home. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. It's really you declaring how far you're willing to go. So that's an example of how I can bring it. And we can refine it even more and refine it even more. But I feel um, when it comes to limit and boundary, there is a position of authority with the limit. Mm-hmm. It's like there is more authority there. Yeah. And the boundary is more how far I'm allowing myself. Yeah really go here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that distinction. And uh, as you were talking through the limits that you set, I mean, it's so personal. All of this stuff is so personal. We don't set a limit on bedtime for my daughter. And I mean, we gave up on that when she was, I don't know, two and a half or three or something. And she tells us when she's tired and when she's ready for bed. And so many parents have struggles with, you know, how do I get my kid to stay in bed at bedtime? And well, if there is no limit around that, you don't have that struggle. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think limits can invite struggles. And so when we're thinking about limits in parenting, I think one of the easiest things to do that seems so counterintuitive is we feel like we need the sense of control and limits are going to give us that control that we feel that we need. When actually, if we can see our way to relaxing some of those limits, to relaxing that sense of control, then all of a sudden things get easier. I mean, we just don't have fights over bedtime, over, you know, you need to stay in your room, you need to do X, it's bedtime, it needs to happen now. Yeah. We have stories at a set time and that sort of part is prescribed and then she can have quiet time for as long as she likes. Sometimes she says right after story time, I'm ready for bed now. And she did that last night and she was up at 6.30 this morning. (laughs) Other times she has energy and she wants to be up until 10 and that's fine. Then she sleeps in later the next day. And so the limit there, by making that limit go away, we just... I mean, really so much stress from our own lives. <laughs> so it's so personal about where we decide to set these limits on things because clearly you set limits in a different way than I do even. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that point, I just want to say, you know, what's the most important thing for you, you know, as a parent? And you mentioned something that's really important here. Not only you having the peace of not stressing out about imposing the limit, but also when you try to impose a limit, the other person still gets to challenge the limit or no. They do. You know, <laughs> even if it's a child. Mm-hmm. So the other person gets to challenge your limit or no. So yeah. what matters the most to you? Is it winning at that authority yeah. battle? Or is it really having a situation where the child understands that, okay, my needs are taken into consideration here? Yeah. You know, my energy is taken into consideration here. Also, that I don't get frustrated, get taken into consideration here. Mm -hmm. And it might change depending on the context. Now Mm -hmm. we're talking about going to bed, you know, like apply it to something else, to another role in your life. What really matters here? What happened in the past when you tried to set the limit? What has been the response? Because arguably, you know, when we parent, The child needs quite a bit of structure, but what is the cost of the structure as well? Mm -hmm. So it's really important to get clear the cost for you 
Yeah. You know, what is what is it costing you to impose the limit? Do I get overstressed? And just like, if I'm not able to get this rule passed, I'm not a good parent or mm-hmm. strong enough parent. What is really the cost for you? And also, what is the cost for your child? Yeah. You know, what is the programming that you are really enforcing here? And it's really important to get clear on that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And because there's that control and there's this kind of societal narrative around parents needing to be in control, I think that we will often feel, well, yeah, I'm entitled to set limits. This is my job as a parent to be in control. Whereas I think it's a little bit different around boundaries, right? I know I struggle and I think a lot of mothers particularly struggle with setting boundaries around self-care time and taking time that isn't dedicated to work or to childcare. And it seems as though there's kind of a lot there to unpackage in why that is. Like, why do we just have such a hard time making time for ourselves and setting boundaries in other ways that we know feel right to us? It is so crazy. And I would say how first it got modeled to us in childhood that parents or mothers should Mm. take care of themselves. We have the narrative of the self-sacrificing mother. That is just crazy all across the board, I would say. You know, in almost, at least in my own experience, the cultures that I've had the chance to collaborate with, that was a narrative that was always present. The mother is just like self-sacrificing you know, putting behind her own needs in order to take care of the needs of the whole family first. Mm -hmm. And that's something that has been present. We grow up seeing that. We grow up seeing mothers doing that. I grew up seeing my mom waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning to cook for the family Mm -hmm. before she goes to work. And she did that for years, for years. Mm -hmm. She wakes up 4 a.m., cooks. You know, she is still, you know, really tired. But she cooks because she has to go to work so that when we come back home, the food can be there. Mm -hmm. So she did that for a year. Mm -hmm. So we get trained into seeing that and even expecting that from mothers. And mothers themselves expect that from themselves. Like, okay, I need to fit into this narrative of the good mother. This is what a good mother is. The other thing is, there is also a story of approval. And it's crazy how, as parents, we seek approval from our own kids. And this is also part of feeding into that narrative of the good parent. Mm -hmm. If my kid loves me, if my kid likes me, I am a good parent. Mm -hmm. If my husband likes the way I treat my kids because he is expecting me to self-sacrifice to put the kids first, then I'm a good mom, you know? So we buy into these narratives and we are just groomed seeing all of that (laughs) and we embody them. So it's extremely hard to get out of that, to begin to prioritize your own needs as a parent because first, you are judging yourself, you are battling yourself, you are battling your own conditioning and you are battling the conditioning that is being reflected at the same time by your kids. Maybe the expectations of your own family, society, your husband, your partner, so yeah, that's what I can say about it. Mm, yeah. And it seems as though there's even deeper stuff as well, right? Related to the ways that we were attached or not attached to our family of origin. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. 
And if we're going to go into that, which is really interesting, we often replicate models that we've observed. We often get to just like replicate models, and very often it's very unconscious. We try to replicate the model. And something that I've also found sometimes is I get to work with some parents and we have the pendulum kind of behavior. Mm. If they grew up in an environment where the parent was extremely distant, you know, the parent was neglecting, wasn't present, emotionally present as well. Usually we try to go all the way <laughs> on the other side. Like my mom could never do this for mm. me. My mom was never there to give me appreciation or anything, you know, or to nurture me. So I'm just going to do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. My kids are never going to have the experience that I had. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then because of that narrative, because of that inner rebellion, we end up also engaging in a behavior that is not necessarily empowering for the kid and for ourselves. And we end up diving into self-sacrificing again to make sure that the kid doesn't go through what we went through. Yeah, there's so much of this tied up in, I think, probably a fear of abandonment as well, right? And just the connections that we had or didn't have and the way that they hurt us and how that shows up in the work that we're doing today as well. Absolutely. Like fear of abandonment is major. It's the central problem. Well, problem is the central theme when it comes to limits and boundaries and even codependency is a central theme. You know, what is the takeaway or what is something that you gain when you are actually self-sacrificing? You know, you get to receive some sort of positive feedback. Mm -hmm. Like you get to avoid feeling that same abandonment that you felt growing up, Mm -hmm. you know? So we do that in order to cope. And when we look at it, self-sacrificing in my opinion, is always ever a coping mechanism. Our self-betrayal is always a coping mechanism Mm. because we fear abandonment. Mm. I need to do this for you so that I belong. I need to do this for you so that I have the approval. I need to do this for you so that you see me as a good mother. I need to do this for you so that you think I'm a good mom and you love me. I need to do this for you so that you don't reject me because if you reject me, I'm going to feel again, Mm -hmm. you know, that initial wound that hasn't been addressed yet, Mm -hmm. you know, and I need to do everything I can so that I don't go back there. So usually that is a driving force. Mm -hmm. We are avoiding that initial pain that we felt and therefore we need to please, we need to betray ourselves. Oof, I have goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. So it, it seems as though in a sort of where do we go from here approach, there must be two parallel strands of work, right? There there must be a how do I understand more about what are those things that are causing me to self-sacrifice, to not be able to do this? And then secondly, there's the, well, how am I going to do this moving forward? Do you see it in the same way? I absolutely see that. It's like there is that awareness uh, piece, like, okay, I need to understand what has been driving this behavior. You know, that's the first part of it. And now understanding is not enough. You know, knowing that this is what has been driving the behavior is not enough. There is a huge important part of like, as soon as we see a behavior that 
we judge or we deem not appropriate, we have that tendency of wanting to hit ourselves on the head. You know, understanding, when you understand where it came from, you also need to understand the driving force, the pain that you were trying to avoid, and therefore compassion is needed. I've never, ever seen somebody heal from punishing themselves enough. I've never seen that. Mm. You know, I've never, ever seen anybody make radical change from just beating themselves up. You know, I'm looking for it. You know, I've tried to do that for (laughs) so long. It destroyed relationships. Mm. You know, I tried to beat up on myself, shame myself. It never worked. So there is that necessary piece of just like acceptance. Okay, this is where I'm starting from. You know, instead of beating myself up from this for this, I understand this is where I'm starting from. And this comes, this is here because of the conditioning that I've been through. It's not because there's something wrong with me. It's only because, you know, this is how I was raised. It's not because I'm a bad mother. It's not because I'm a bad parent. It's just because I was raised this way. And having acceptance for where you start, in my opinion, is so crucial. And also having acceptance for the fact that you might go back exactly here several times. You will make progress (laughs) and then come back there again and progress and maybe come back there again several times is also very needed because unfortunately, growth is not that all. Healing is not that linear journey of like, okay. I got the problem. I'm going to change it. I'm going to fix it. Done. Gosh, it's like parenting, isn't it? I mean, how was potty learning at your house? You're probably still in it, aren't you? <laughs> we think there's going to be this linear thing and all of a sudden there's a switch and, and their child's going to be out of diapers one day. And does it, I mean, for some parents it happens like that and they tend to write blog posts about it. And, they, <laughs> and then when the Absolutely. rest of us, when it doesn't go like that, we're like, oh, what happened? It wasn't like that for me that we were out of it. We were in it. We were out of it. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, suddenly we were using the toilet. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my, I love that. I really love that. So it's really necessary to understand it's a multi-layered approach. You know, it's really important. So having that acceptance piece, compassion piece, and also validation piece that, okay, this is where I get to start. Mm. And because they need, first of all, healing happens at many levels. There's like that wound, that emotional density that was created when the abandonment was felt growing up, it needs to be released because as children, we don't know how to navigate pain. We have no concept of how to deal with that. So releasing the emotional child, sorry, the emotional charge, I want to say the same story Mm. that we created. Mm. You know, my parents abandoned me. Therefore, I must be bad. There must be something wrong with me. And as kids, we create stories of shame in order to deal with the fact that parents couldn't meet our needs the way we needed to. You know, my parents were emotionally neglecting me. Therefore, there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. There cannot be something wrong with the parent as a kid because we (laughs) can't even make concept. We can't even understand it. Yeah. You know. Too scary to admit, right? (laughs) It's scary to admit that parents are just imperfect humans as well. So as a child, seeing this loving persona that your mom or your dad is, it's something that you can't even integrate. Mm. You know, but attuning or just like welcoming that truth that as much 
has, they tried, they did their best. Mm -hmm. Your needs weren't also met. Yeah. It's very necessary to begin to bridge the gap. Mm. And then you can begin to understand, oh, it's not because there was something wrong with me. It's not because I was bad. It's not because it's not because they just had no concept of how to actually meet my needs the way I needed to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that part, having completion with that is really extremely necessary. Mm-hmm. And then how do you have completion and then allow yourself to, I want to say, purge the shame, which is really important because all these emotions that your brain has no concept how, how to deal with when you are so young are stored in the body. And there is a great book about it, Trauma is Stored in the Body. I forgot right right now the name of the author. Yeah. Uh, just like they are stored in there. When you allow yourself to purge it, that would be, in my opinion, the first step. The second step is actually, okay, now I kind of cleaned myself. I kind of cleansed. It is really necessary to rewire because we just get practiced. It's a practice, even when you are aware of it. It's just the program, but I do it first. My child comes screaming for something that is really mild. You know, I'm talking about something that is actually doesn't require you to solve, to do something in the moment. You know, your child is just really upset about something, but you were, let's say, involved into doing something else and you just panic immediately and run. This can be something that you just internalize, the program that is running. And then it's going to be necessary for you to disrupt the program, Mm. to install a new one. Like, okay, this is happening. And, you know, what is the new response that I'm choosing in this moment? Mm -hmm. You know, is the need of this child here extremely real? Is it something that I really need to stop doing what I'm doing right now in order to tend to? And sometimes when you allow yourself to think about it rationally, to just question it, to question the conditioning, Sometimes you understand that right now running to that is not really necessary Mm -hmm. and you get to actually respond in a different way. Mm. So the rewiring piece and learning how to voice, especially voice, which is the most complicated part, voice the new boundary, voice where your, because the boundary is where they should expect you from now on. Mm. And that's another way I see the boundary. This is telling people where they can meet you from now on is really necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, when you are feeling frustrated because of this, and I am, for example, on the call, you know, wait a minute. Or just like wait for 10 minutes that I finish this call and then I'll be with you. Mm-hmm. This is how I can share this with people now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the book you're thinking of is The Body Keeps the Score. Is that right? The body keeps the score. Yeah. The body keeps the yeah. score. Yeah. Bessel van der Kolk, I think, is the name of the author. Yeah, it's it's an excellent book. And I was curious as as you were talking that through that you were talking about a cognitive reframing strategy. And I was also thinking about kind of a physical awareness. Like many of us are learning for the first time in our midlives that our bodies have information for us <laughs> about our experience and that we didn't know about, that we didn't know to pay attention to until somewhat recently. And so what you're describing is a cognitive reframing process. And I'm wondering about that and thinking, okay, is that because what my body is telling me is so kind of baked into, it has all of this stuff that's been going on for years and it doesn't know how to 
kind of reappraise this based on this new information that I now have about boundaries and what I know about where they came from and that kind of thing. Like, is, has my body been tricked in a way? Or do you think that there is, if we can tap into, yes, there's a cognitive element, but also our body can tell us the truth, our truth of what's happening right now. And that if we can pay attention to that, we can know, you know, is this something I need to deal with right now? Or is this something that I can put a boundary on in some way that will serve me better? Where do you stand on that? What do you think about it? I love that question because it is so crazy how the body wants to work with you in the process. <laughs> yeah. It is really interesting how the body wants literally to assist you in the process. Yeah. And what comes up first is there is a necessity to amplify, you know, to practice even more emotional awareness. What am I experiencing now? Mm-hmm. Because most times this is a feedback of the body. What am I experiencing? What am I feeling? Where do I feel tension in my body? What is present within me? And what I found out is very often a good signal that a boundary is needed is resentment, Mm. in my opinion. A good signal that a boundary is needed is resentment. And resentment often happens when you have, you know, unspoken expectations. Like this is something that I really wanted, but because I'm afraid to be betrayed, I don't speak about it. Mm. Because I'm afraid to be disappointed, I'm not going to voice it, you know. So therefore, feel resentment when the person didn't actually meet the expectation. We feel the resentment there. And the resentment is a signal that the thing that you actually wanted, but that you didn't voice, it is really important to let it be voiced, to let it be heard. And also to let it be heard in a way that people also know where you are willing to go if the expectation is not met. Mm. And this is really how your voice, you know, you allow yourself to work with that emotion, the resentment that comes up. It's like, okay, what is this signaling? Mm -hmm. What am I experiencing? And what is it really telling me here? And what I found out is resentment is always a signal. Some way, somehow. Yeah. You cross a line Mm -hmm. and you didn't make a boundary heard to people. And also something that I found out is, especially about anger, what I found out is when it comes to limits, anger can be a signal. It can be not all the time that a limit hasn't been set. Mm. Somebody crossed something that is extremely fundamental for you Mm -hmm. and, you know, it hasn't been really set. And I often say anger is is a signal that your power is leaking somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's a signal that your power is leaking somewhere. So let's say at the house, having your children bringing or having a party past a certain time is something that you really don't want to mm-hmm. experience. And somehow it happens and you're feeling that anger worked up. So there might be a huge invitation there to have that limit heard even more you know, and then force maybe even more, at least in the house, like this is really something that is not happening here, you know. So working with the emotions is really, it's really a way to receive constant feedback from the body, Mm -hmm. constant feedback from the body. It's some sort of GPS, or I want to say EPS, if we're going to use emotionally emotional positions, Mm. positioning system, something like that. Yeah. It allows you to know really 
I am standing in integrity here mm. or I am not. Shame is a signal that you are creating internal divide. You know, mm. you are telling a part of yourself that you are bad. And this is what kids do. They create the divide with the part of them that wanted the need, that had the need. And like having this need is bad because mm -hmm. they are not willing to meet you, to meet this part of me. So this is bad. And then we create shame, inner divide. Mm -hmm. So with shame, there is always an invitation to create recon inner reconciliation. With resentment, mm -hmm. there is an invitation to speak a boundary. And with anger, sometimes... You know, it might look like this is not an absolute, of course. You know, it might look like, okay, my power is leaking somewhere here. This limit hasn't been heard and I get to do something about it. So there is that new way of collaborating with the body and having that awareness and then moving into what is the new behavior that I can begin to practice? What is something that I can begin to practice in order to create new pathways here? So that this new way of seeing things, of speaking my truth, of making sure that my needs are heard becomes second nature. Mm. So this is really how I would invite people to think about it. Yeah. And maybe if I can make it something that becomes a regular part of my practice, that my child can then take that on and can grow up understanding Absolutely. what boundaries are <laughs> and, and without that divide of the walled off piece of ourselves that's there and that we kind of don't want to acknowledge because it was too hard for us to admit that, that there could be something that was so unlovable about ourselves that we just kind of put it in a box and, and don't talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. And what you touched on is so important because in families, there is something that we often call, which is enmeshment. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, in this family setting, I confuse my mom's feelings for my own because we are so enmeshed. My mom is angry, therefore I'm angry. Or my dad is sad, therefore I'm also sad, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's re it gets really hard to make the difference between what I'm experiencing because it's coming from me and what I'm experiencing because, you know, my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister is experiencing it. and. When somebody in the family system is willing to actually begin to set boundaries, you are giving permission, even if you don't make the conscious effort of teaching them, you are actually disrupting the enmeshment when you are willing to say, you know, I am sad right now, but it is my responsibility to deal with it. You know, you don't need to come and try to fix me. You don't need to come and try to, I am working on it. You know, this is just an example. You give a huge amount of freedom without seeing it. They might see it in the moment, like abandonment in the moment because they are used to being enmeshed. But when you are willing to set the boundary, you also at the same time give them the possibility to embrace emotional autonomy, which is huge when it comes to setting boundaries, which is huge when it comes to okay, this is what they are going through. I'm willing to let them go through that. Basically, you are giving them the opportunity to give you the space. Mm -hmm. And giving you the space creates actually also the space they need to learn emotional autonomy. Okay, mm -hmm. this is just what mom is going through at the moment. Okay, it doesn't feel good yet at the moment, but I'm willing to work on this. I'm willing to accept that. And next time the, the, the child comes and the mom repeats it again, 
You remember I told you when I go, when you see me like this, it's just because I'm working through this. It has nothing to do with you. And then the child really integrates that. Okay, I get now what she's going through. It has nothing to do with me. I can feel safe when mom needs this space right now. It has nothing to do with me. And this is crucial for kids to see and to hear at times that, okay, this behavior here really has nothing to do with me. When she needs space for self-care, it really has nothing to do with me. Actually, this for me because when she's happy, I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I guess the critical point there is that we have to be telling the truth when it has nothing to do with the child, right? Like if, if we are mad at the child, if we're telling the child, I'm not mad at you, darling, <laughs> through gritted oh. teeth. Yeah. We're not telling a lie to the child. Like we may acknowledge that. And I'd be curious as to how you would phrase this, but maybe it would be something like, yeah, I'm, I'm super frustrated that that thing happened, but my frustration is not your responsibility. And I'm going to cope with that. Would that be how you would handle that? Well, handling it is really, in the moment, usually what I invite people to do is, you know, to handle it in the best of your ability. Because sometimes it is very, very hard to get back to a place where you are centered as expressing frustration. Mm-hmm. It's extremely hard. So the invitation that I have for people is really just to do it and then to have a completion conversation. Mm-hmm. Because ideally, we would love to be like, I really didn't appreciate the way you, what you did there. Like, really, this is something that doesn't sit right with me, you know, and I just need you to hear it. It's important for me that you understand it. It's important for me eventually that you understand why. But it is my job to deal with the frustration. It is my job to navigate that and releasing that and giving the message to the child, even if they do something that creates some frustration, that they don't have to fix you. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. That they understand that they need to take responsibility for what happens is very necessary, in my opinion, that they understand that, okay, I created this thing. Mm-hmm. How can I take responsibility? How can I make sure it doesn't happen again? And if there is something that I did in this situation that I can make amends for or maybe repair eventually, if it's something physical, material, like I created a mess here, I get to clean the mess on the floor or something like that, that is something they can do. But doing something that so that you, and I believe this is the most important thing for a parent to see, that the child understands, okay, there is a shift that needs to be made here, but I don't really need to go ahead and try to fix my mom and try to, and begin to overcompensate Because the overcompensating behavior is something that in the future, in their adult lives, will get them to stretch beyond who they truly are in order to get also approval. It's another way to just like get approval after you've done something wrong. But really having the conversation or letting something heard, I truly didn't appreciate what happened there or how this thing unfolded. And doing it in your own ways. And sometimes we are so aroused that it is hard to be so centered when Mm -hmm. we express it. The completion conversation, it sounds like, you know that day I showed up this way. I talked to you this way. And I mentioned how I was frustrated about this thing. I need to make sure that you understand. It is something that's very important to me. But also, I don't want you to stay with the 
belief or the thought that I don't like you because of this, mm-hmm. that I hate you because of this, that you're a bad child because of this. I just needed to make sure that I truthfully communicate with you and I tell you what is going on for me. Because mm-hmm. if I don't, I am going to be angry at you silently and it never goes well, something like that, you know. And really you create that opening for a child to navigate conflict in a way that doesn't feel like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you are really creating that opening to express even the, the negative emotions in a way that the child understands, okay, I can go through this. And it doesn't mean that there is something inherent, like something broken in me or something Mm -hmm. broken in the relationship. It doesn't mean that if she gets angry at me, it's broken. Because usually kids grow up with that narrative. I need to do everything I can Mm -hmm. to avoid having this person angry. And if the person gets angry, oh, it's over. Mm. Okay. So I'm just wondering as we wrap up here, we've covered so much ground (laughs) and we've given parents so many tools to use. And I'm just wondering for a parent who's coming to this and, and this is kind of the first time they've thought about this and they're super new to this, where would you start? What would be the first thing you would advise somebody to do? Uh, the first thing of course would be awareness would be, why am I acting this way? Where has this behavior been modeled for me? Mm And understanding that part, like how was I conditioned to express myself this way, to behave this way, to think that a mom should behave this way, Mm -hmm. or to think that a parent should show up this way with my child? How was I conditioned to see things this way? And what's even deeper than what's even underneath that? You know, is it because I'm afraid of like being rejected? Is it because I'm seeking approval? Is it because I want to control or is it because I want to feel safe really here? Because as parents, very often we also want to feel safe and really understanding what is the driving need of your own behavior is because I want to feel approved of. I want to feel like I belong. Is it because I want to control? I just want to make sure that things are done right. It's really important for me that things are done the way they need to be done. Mm -hmm. Or I just need to feel safe here, you know need to feel safe with my child, need to feel safe with my partner. What is the driving force here? Am I doing this because if there is any sort of chaos in the house, I feel extremely unsafe. Therefore, I need to control. Therefore, I need to do something else. Really understanding what is driving your own behavior and really pondering what would happen if you showed up in a different way. Like Mm -hmm. really just like thinking about it, what would happen if you did things differently mm-hmm. and maybe even experimenting with that. What would happen if I really let my voice be heard right now? What would happen if I really prioritize what I want from now on? What would happen if I try to create a bridge between, okay, this is what I want and I know it doesn't get to be all the time, either or, either self-sacrifice or I meet my need. Mm-hmm. You know, there is always that possibility for a beautiful middle ground. And sometimes that possibility looks like, I hear you, honey, but mommy is going to take care of that in an hour, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it looks like that. Sometimes it looks like, I hear you, we're going to work on that, but just not now, Mm -hmm. you know, not just now. And beginning to practice that and beginning to have to to keep these little appointments with yourself, Mm -hmm. 
the 10 minute walk, you know, away from the house, mm. this is only your time and negotiating when it's possible. And maybe, you know, if this is your situation, an hour away from your kids, even if it's only once a week, Mm-hmm. Just having that time for self and beginning to nurture again that relationship with self and beginning to know again, okay, what do I truly need? Because we get sometimes to care so much about other people that we forget about what turns yeah. our lives on, you know, yeah. what really makes us happy. Like going from there, from that awareness place to understanding that it's not either or, we get to do it together in a way that everybody can have their own sense of fulfillment in the family dynamic, you know, and really beginning to have some practices for me before my kids wake up. And even sometimes when they're awake, I'm going to put a band on my face. They are going to be in the same room. And I really, I'm going to do my best to meditate. Some people often tell me this is stupid, but this is just a signal from me to myself. Mm. That my need to have this 15 minutes in the morning that I take for myself, even mm. if my son is awake, because he is usually the one that wakes up the family, <laughs> even if he's awake is important. Yeah. You know, and then I often do that even if he's in the room. And sometimes, weirdly enough, he sits down next to me. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say a word. Mm. You would be surprised how willing your family, your people, mm can be open to work with you when they understand that something is really important for you. You would be amazed to see how loving they want to be for you. Wow. Well, on that note, (laughs) thank you so much for sharing this with us. I think it's such a profound practice to even just acknowledge that this is a thing and to start working on this. Can you tell us where listeners and people who are watching on YouTube can find more information about you and where can they follow you? Oh, I am very active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. I love you on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really active there on my website, zagiedagba.com. And um, on Instagram, it's at zagiedagba. I'm really working on, because so many more people have asked me to create a YouTube and talk more about mm-hmm. things like this on YouTube. So mm-hmm. this is coming. This is coming very soon. I don't have a date yet, but it might happen very soon. And yes, very soon on YouTube, people will be able to see more of this. But just to listen to podcasts that I've done about, you know, boundaries, reparenting and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. All the links are on um, my Instagram link and people can see it from there. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put links to those on the references page as well. So thanks again for talking with us. It was such fun and such a pleasure to talk with you. My pleasure, Jen. Thank you for having me. And so listeners can find all of the references for everything that we've talked about today, including Bessel van der Kolk's book and links to Xavier's website and his Instagram. And, and we'll put the YouTube up there as well when it arrives. It uh, can be found at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash boundaries. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Your Parenting Mojo. Don't forget to subscribe to the show at yourparentingmojo.com to receive new episode notifications and the free guide to seven parenting myths that we can leave behind. And join the Your Parenting Mojo Facebook group for more respectful research-based ideas to help kids thrive and make parenting easier for you. I'll see you next time on Your Parenting Mojo.